Thank you, worship team. Appreciate it. Let's give them a hand, guys. Thank you for leading us in worship. Well, family, uh, it's good to see you guys. We have come to the other side of what could probably only be called a soul-crushing election cycle. Um, I think it's good to start out just being honest. Uh, emotions are kind of raw for some of us still. Uh, we're still processing the results and what the data tells us about how divided our country is. Uh, I'll say this, the thing that's probably uh, been the most distressing thing for me is what it tells us not about that, but about church, the church. Uh, to see the things that have been written or spoken online by people who claim to be followers of Jesus, it's just kind of been confusing. It's been saddening. Um, people that proudly claim to know God to be born of God, and yet they talk about their fellow brother and sister with spite. Uh, they regard their spiritual siblings who disagree with them as lesser than, uh, worthy of being dismissed, or worse. And here's the deal. I've seen that in my own heart. I've seen it in my own heart. Here's what I'm learning about people in general, and about myself in particular that we go through life with this unquestioned assumption. I know how to love people. I know how to love people. We, we believe that assumption even more when we claim to be a Christian. And then you watch how we treat one another when an election cycle blows through town. And what does that tell us about us? I think it tells us that maybe, just maybe, we need someone to teach us how to love one another. I think maybe, just maybe, it reveals that either we don't really know what love is or we don't want to do it. And John is going to teach us the motivation for loving our brothers and sisters in Christ today in the passage that we're going to look at this morning. You know, the sovereignty of God is a funny thing. It's pretty amazing to me. Months ago, we planned this series out. I didn't foresee uh, where we would be on this particular day, but you know what? God did. God knew. And so it isn't by accident that this passage of Scripture is what we're going to be examining this Sunday morning. It's pretty interesting. So if you have your Bibles, grab them, open them up to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 14. Chapter 4, verses 7 through 14. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected 
in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. This is the word of God. Let's pray. King Jesus, we love you. We're gathered here to worship your name, lift your name above all names. And Jesus, I pray that uh, you would speak to us today. Tell us what we need to know, what we need to hear, what we need to learn. I pray, God, that uh, you would do what only your word can do, and that is to speak to hearts and change lives. We thank you, Jesus, that you are king and that you are good. And so now, talk to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the call is to love our spiritual siblings. And the motivation that John gives us is this. God loved us by meeting our greatest needs. God loved us by meeting our greatest need. Look at this in verse 9. It says, in this, the love of God was made manifest. That means visible or shown. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Our love for one another as Christians starts with what God has done for us through the person of Jesus Christ. It does not start with duty. Please don't read that, the passage that way. Love for our spiritual siblings starts not with a sense of duty, but with a sense of beauty. It starts with the historical fact that God has loved us with the greatest love that is imaginable by giving us life with him, and he did it at a great cost to himself. John says that the purpose of God sending his son, Jesus, into the world was so that we might live through him. And he's not talking about biological life here, guys. People live biologically just fine without Jesus, amen? They do it all the time. He's talking about a need for spiritual life. He calls it eternal life. We were made to live with God and enjoy him forever. And the problem is that we have rejected him. And we've been rejecting him from the very beginning. The Bible tells us that we all rebelled against God instead of loving the one that made us, loving the one that fed us, loving the one that created us for him forever. We wanted to find life apart from him instead of with him. And we wanted to get as far away from the God of light as is humanly possible. We've been running from him ever since. Now, some of us did that through living in immorality. Some of us did that through living uh, morally. But the point is that we all hated God and we hated one another. Don't like him, don't need him, don't want him. Look at Titus 3, 3. It says, for we ourselves, we, he's talking about all of us, were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days. It just sounds so casual, doesn't it? We're just passing our time. Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Here's what Jesus says in John's gospel, chapter 3. He says, and this is the judgment, that light, has come into the world, and people loved 
the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. There is no light apart from God any more than there is light apart from the warmth and the light of the sun. It doesn't exist. It's not a reality. There's only death. The idea that we as creation can live apart from our creator is the ultimate offense to him. And it's the ultimate. It's like the ultimate spitting in his face. It's a thanks but no thanks. And it's foolish. That's what Titus says. It is foolish. So God would be right and he would be fair to tell us, hey, you know what? You love, you love darkness? You love falsehood? Okay. Go to outer darkness. Like the darkest of the darkness. Go ahead. Where there's no truth there. You love being separated from me? Okay. You're separated from me forever. That was our destiny. That was our future, every single one of us. That was my destiny. And it was right and fair. So do you see how wonderful God's love is for us, family? Do you see it as precious or just nice? It's precious. It's precious. Being redeemed from our stubbornness, our bullheaded foolishness, was our greatest need. And we couldn't do that for ourselves. Someone had to intervene on our behalf. The gospel says that instead of judging us on the spot, God chose to love us. We spit in his face and he goes like this. I love you. I love you. We gave him no reason to, but he did it anyway. I mean, what does that do to you? It makes me go, wow. Wow. God chose to love rebels? God chose to love us in a specific way. The scripture says that he loved us by sending his own son to die the death that we should have died through Jesus being sent into outer darkness at the cross. That's what was happening. Through Jesus being sent into outer darkness, the darkness that we loved, that we lived in, and we were chasing, he said, more please. By Jesus enduring infinite separation from his heavenly father, which is what he experienced on the cross. We were given eternal life. The sin that separated us from God was put on Jesus and was punished in Jesus so that God could restore his relationship with us. That's pretty awesome. That's love. That's great love. You know, we live in a world that would have us believe that our biggest need is to be loved by other people. That's what it preaches to us day and night. That's what every advertisement on the internet or on TV is all about. Your biggest need, my biggest need is to be loved by other people. That our biggest need is getting a date on Friday night, getting 20 posts on a cute Facebook post that we, you know, wrote up, having everybody home for Thanksgiving. That's our biggest need. The world preaches that we need people to love us. And if they don't, well, life's just not worth living. But the gospel says that we, what we desperately need more than anything is for God to love us. 
We need God to love us. Because in the final analysis, his love is the only love that gives us life. It's a life that can never, never be taken away from you and me. God has met our greatest need in Christ at the cross and the empty tomb. Look at this in verse 10 here. In this is love. This is the definition. Not that we have loved God, because we didn't. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The only love that really matters. Guys, the only love that can give you life. The only love that can really save you is from God. It's love that God has given you through his son. The motivation for loving our spiritual siblings is in the fact that God has already met our greatest need by loving us first. Nothing should stand in our way of loving one another because nothing stood in the way of God loving us. Amen? There's another motivation, though, for our sp- to loving our spiritual siblings. It's right here, verse 20. We love to fulfill our purpose in life. We love in order to fulfill our purpose in life. Verse 20, John says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Before we received God's grace, we were basically living for ourselves, family, every one of us. I mean, we were pretty much living for other, get other people to love us. We live by this commandment. Beloved, seek love from one another. That's how we read that verse. And that's how we kind of interacted and engaged with one another at, at a root level. We live with each other like this. I need you to agree that I'm worthy of love. I need you to affirm that I am worthy of love. So love me, respect me, accept me. And when we view people in that way, we're actually using them for our gain. They are things that are useful to us if you really think about it. They're useful to making us look lovely, they're useful in making us look worthy. And that's a form of actually hating people, not loving them. John confronts us with a painful truth. He says, we're liars if we claim to love God who we can't see, but we don't love our brother who we can't see. But the good news is that God has rescued us from that life through his love for us. Let's go back up to verse 12. The apostle says, no one has ever seen God. Remember, he's been using that word manifest a lot throughout the epistle. It means to be seen. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. Get this, get this. His love is perfected in us. This is an amazing thing he's stating here. God's love gives us a new purpose in life. It's a purpose that matters eternally. It matters globally and locally. 
Now we as a church live to show off God and how glorious his love is. So here's my question. How do you do that? How do you do that? How do you show off God's great love to a world that can't see him? That's tricky, isn't it? That's what we're called to do. That's our purpose, though. How about we do this? We preach sermons to show off God. How about that? To display his glory, right? We use invisible words to display an invisible God. Is that how we do it? Or, or how about this? We could use words to write books, or we could use words to write blogs. Well, yes, we do use words. We use words. Words explain things. But it's not enough to make God visible. This is what the apostle really wants us to understand, family. John says, here's how a church makes God visible. You ready? We love one another with words and deeds. We love one another with words and deeds. When we actively love our spiritual siblings as different as they are from us, it makes God's love visible to a world who doesn't believe in him. That's what the word perfect actually means in verse 12 here. God's love is perfected in us. What it actually means is this. It means to fulfill a purpose or to be brought to its end. It's telos. The reason why it was made. The end goal. The ultimate purpose of God loving you isn't just for you. That is a purpose, but not the ultimate goal, not the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose for God loving you in me is so that we would experience the joy of making an invisible God visible. How? By how we interact and treat one another. That's how people know that and see that. It's real. You, you ever gotten out of the shower and you've written a little note, you know, steam on the mirror, you've written a note to your sweetheart maybe? You ever done that? Just me. All right. <laughs> Two. All right. Yeah, it, it's interesting. So just think about it like this. When the, when the mirror dries, the message doesn't go away, does it? Message is still there. You just can't see it. And when you steam up that mirror again, the steam makes the message visible. Guys, that is what a church full of people born of God do for the world. You guys tracking with me? When we love one another as a church, it puts some steam on God. Put some steam on God's message. It's not just air. It's not just words. It's real. It's real. It lets unbelievers see that what was always there, but they just couldn't see it. God is love. God is love. His love's changed my life. His love can change your life. How do they know it's real? And how we love one another. And they go, oh, I want to be part of that. That is why we love our spiritual siblings. We who are different politically, we who are different in gender, we who are different in age, education, income, ethnicity, 
football teams. Can I just say Cougars, Huskies, right? <laughs> We're going to amen that? All right. These are the exact things that the world uses to divide us into subcategories and subgroups. Just one of those things is enough, significantly enough, to keep most people from sharing a meal with one another or trust one another. Am I right? Just one of those things. But when we have all those deep differences and we regularly sing together, we regularly pray for one another, we regularly forgive one another's offenses, and we meet each other's needs financially, we, we regularly do this for one another, even with all those deep differences, it makes God visible. It makes him real. Beloved, we need to love one another more than we need to be loved. So how do we love our spiritual siblings? Well, we love them by going first and giving our best. By going first and giving our best best. We do not, I don't want to be clear about this, we don't love one another in the exact same quality or the exact same quantity as God does. It's not possible for us as humans to be able to do that. Rather, we love our spiritual siblings in the same way, in the same way that God has loved us. In other words, God has not only given us a definition of love, but has given us a pattern to follow. We love by going first. Let's check out verse 19. It says, we love because he first loved us. God did not wait for us to become worthy of his love, did he? Thank God. Thank God he did not wait for us to become lovely or lovable. We weren't lovable. We were rebels. No, God made us lovely. How did, how did he make us lovely? By loving us. His love was so strong, it was transformative. God did not wait to get, for us to get our act together. Thank God he did not wait for us to say we were sorry, to get a haircut, to get a real job, to get to church, to get our mouth cleaned up, or show some sign that we might be worthy of an eternal investment. No, he did not do that. God loved you first. And whoever loves first wins. He loved first. Look at Romans 5, 8. But God showed his love for us. God showed. There's that show, visible. God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the godly. Is that what it says? No. Some of you should have snapped your head right up. That Christ died for the ungodly. That's me. That's Chad Lingle. The reason we trust God, love God, worship God, obey God, follow God, pray to God, was because he loved us in the first place. He did not look at us, see great potential in us, go, okay, I think I love you. No, he loved us first, and it changed us. That's grace. That's God's love. So here's our pattern that we follow, brothers and sisters, we do not love our spiritual siblings based on what we think they deserve. We love them based 
on how God loved us in Christ, and so we go first. We go first. That means that we initiate the conversation, even though it might be awkward. I love you. That means we initiate that invitation to lunch, even though they're a stranger. That means we offer to help, to pay, to pray, to cry with them, to listen. Love isn't lazy. That's what I'm saying. Love isn't passive. Love goes first. We love by giving them our best. We love by giving them our best. Look at verse 9 again. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. When God chose to love us, he gave his absolute best. It was top shelf. He didn't use a coupon. You understand what I'm saying? To get us with him. He didn't look for the best price possible when he paid that price. Is there a cheaper price I could pay? No. Didn't do that. He paid the sticker price for you and me. That's awesome. That's awesome. He didn't send one of his many sons to remove our guilt. I got another one. No, didn't do that. He didn't send a replica of his only son. This will fool him. No, didn't do that. He said he sent his one and only son, the one he loved with infinite love from eternity past for you and for me. The father sacrificed the thing that was the most precious to him so that we might live. He gave his all. He gave his best for our worst. God went over the top. He went over budget, went over time so that we could live with him forever to bring us into his family. Do you see how generous God's love is for you? You see that? I want you to see how generous God's love is. That is what makes us want to be generous with others. It's what makes us want to love one another when we get that. When we see it and believe that. Here's the question that love asks. What's the best I could give? What's the best I can give to this person? What's the best I can give at this time? What's the best I can give in this situation? What's the best I can give? It's not about a specific amount or a specific quality. It's about a pattern that we follow family. Love that most truly reflects God is generous. It's generous in its nature. I love you guys. Let's pray. So King Jesus, we love you and we thank you for coming, dying on a cross, being put in outer darkness, so that we could be brought into the light. We could be brought into the family of God. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for giving your absolute best for us. And I pray, God, that you would take the gospel message and that you would just press it right now into our hearts. I pray that you would grant us faith to believe it.
Grant us faith to trust in you. Help us be people. Help us be a church that loves one another because you loved us first and you loved us with the best that you had. You met our greatest need. And so God, help us look, look around and say, not, not to people like, love me, but how can I love you? That's our purpose now. Lord, I just ask that you would cause us to be people that put some steam on you for the world. And that we would make you visible. We thank you, God of love, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.